Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Today, we hear about the problem of judgmentalism and two reasons why we shouldn't judge others. One, we're not better than them, and two, we do not see clearly enough to make that judgment. We are also left with four ways we can be more hospitable to others. You're listening to To Look Again by guest minister... Reverend Dwayne Kelderman. My scripture reading this morning is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, and verse 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. I would like to talk to you today about the problem of judgmentalism, harshly judging and condemning other people and groups of people. I believe that we are in a pandemic of judgmentalism in the church and in our culture. Now, I know that people have always struggled with being too judgmental. One of the top perceptions that unchurched people have of churched people is that they are judgmental and self-righteous and hypocritical and therefore very unsafe. Jesus himself regularly confronted the, the religious people of his day for how they so harshly judged others. When Jesus reached out in love to the Samaritan and the prostitute and the tax collector and the outsider because he saw pain and fear and need, the religious community so often condemned and judged and persecuted, adding to those very people's rejection and suffering. Yes, I know that we've always struggled with being too judgmental. But I believe that we have a pandemic of judgmentalism today that goes far beyond this normal, age-old struggle. In our polarized culture, if your reality is shaped by CNN news, and if you know someone who voted for Trump, 
Or if your reality is shaped by Fox News and you know someone who actually liked Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that liberal Supreme Court justice, chances are good that you won't just see that person on the other side of this cultural divide as wrong, misinformed. Chances are good in this culture that you will see them as defective, as having something broken in their head and in their heart and even their soul. People today see a political yard sign and they think they know everything about the person who lives there. And they know enough to condemn them out of hand, even though they've never met them. Crazy. And the truth is that the gospel of Jesus Christ seems powerless in the face of culture wars that besiege us today. The culture divide floats right into the church. Ministers are quitting the ministry today because they just don't see any fruitfulness from their years of labor. When churches devolve into war zones over wearing or not wearing masks, when political ideology on all sides controls how Christians think and behave more than the historic Christian faith, We have a pandemic of judgmentalism today. Jesus says today, do not judge. Now, Jesus is not saying don't think, don't discern between what is right and wrong, just and unjust. Jesus is not saying do not exercise good judgment. Even from the Greek word translated judge, it's clear that Jesus is talking about being judgmental, which the dictionary defines as tending to make quick and excessively critical judgments of others, especially moral ones. Judgmentalism involves a condemning spirit that personalizes disagreement that crosses the line of honest differences of opinion to tearing people down, assaulting their dignity, questioning their motives, not giving people the benefit of the doubt. Jesus gives us three reasons this morning to not live that way. First, a judgmental attitude comes back and judges you. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. When you are judgmental, it starts a cycle of judgment. Judgmentalism is contagious and it infects whole communities. Judgmentalism is toxic and can color all of your relationships, your marriage, your family, your church, your community. And then Jesus' metaphor of the speck and the plank gives two additional reasons to not be judgmental. First, you are not better than the person you are judging. 
Look in the mirror at that big old plank hanging out of your eye. And if you are judgmental, harshly critical, condemning, crushing other people's dignity, then you're worse than the one you judge. And then you shouldn't be judgmental. The other reason that Jesus gives through this metaphor of the speck and the plank, because you can't see that well. None of us see that well. We all have planks in our eyes. We have a full-time job working on ourselves. Jesus says, when you get yourself squared away, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And of course, Jesus knows that when we come to grips with our own brokenness and desperate need of mercy, when we see the plank in our own eye, the truth about ourselves, then we will see others differently with empathy, not judgment, with compassion, not moral superiority. We'll see them the way Jesus sees them. Jesus says, do not judge. Do not be judgmental, harshly condemning of others. Because that judgmental spirit will come back and get you and infect everyone around you. Because you are not better than other people. And because until you have dealt with you, the plank in your own eye, you just don't see clearly enough to be condemning of others. One of the greatest privileges of my life has been a very recent one. Co-teaching a course for Calvin University, a course in Christian leadership two years ago to prisoners at Hanlon Prison in Ionia. 37 men in this class, most of them in prison for life. Talk about a group of people that it's easy to judge and on the surface, with good reason, these men have wrought immeasurable destruction and suffering in the lives of others. But three hours a week for 13 weeks is a long time when you're all together trying to get to the bottom of things especially with a group of people who have committed or recommitted their lives to Christ and who are refreshingly honest about life. One of my biggest revelations from teaching that course was how many of these men grew up in Christian homes with Christian parents and Christian grandparents and in Christian churches, and very much identified as Christians, just like we do. But then you learn more about what went on in their homes, or on their streets, or in their schools. 
And you see the models of manhood and fatherhood they often grew up with. And you learn anew what a small margin for error so many of these guys have, especially if their skin is brown. And you quickly figure out how dangerous and wrong it is to reduce a person to the worst 10 seconds of their life. And to think that you know enough about someone to simply give them a label that explains them away and lets you go home justified. After teaching this course, it struck me that one of the reasons that the gospel is such good news for prisoners, the Bible talks about that all the time, right? Good news for prisoners is that Jesus doesn't reduce people to the worst 10 seconds of their life. Jesus sees differently. He sees every person as having dignity, something most prisoners have long given up on seeing in themselves, much less expecting someone else to see in them. But now it shouldn't have taken me teaching a course in a prison to gain new eyes for seeing the prisoner, right? Most of you have had similar experiences. Why does it take a divorce in your own family to make you less judgmental about people who are divorced? or a child with profound disabilities to make you more careful in your language about persons with disabilities, or one of your children adopting a baby of color to make you look at racism differently now because it's your grandchild being harmed by racism in our society. But we shouldn't have to go through such personal experiences before we become less judgmental. So how can we become less judgmental of the other and more generous before we have had such personal experiences? Sometimes I wonder whether we can. Trust me, I am preaching more to myself than I am to you today. This is hard work, and it's not going well. But I don't want to give up on this. We can't. The witness of the church is at stake. And I don't want to give up on God. Yes, the fact is that ultimately this must be a work of God in our lives and in the world. Only God can convict us when our ideologies have become our idols. Only God can give us new eyes to see a different world 
and to see the world differently through the eyes of Christ and through the lens of the kingdom of God. Only the Spirit can take away our fear and our anger and make us kind and gentle. Two of those fruits of the Spirit. Yes, let's be clear. The main thing we must do to address this pandemic of judgmentalism is pray. Because it will take a miracle. A work of God in the world. Having said that, I want to ask, are there some things, just some practical things that we can do to make ourselves more hospitable to the work of the Holy Spirit, more moldable by Christ, even though it's Christ and the Spirit who must ultimately do this work? This sermon is not an exercise in moralism. It's the gospel that we need. But having said that, are there ways that we can be hospitable to the work of the Spirit? I'd like to leave us this morning with four simple, concrete suggestions that I think flow right out of Jesus' words today and that I think can help us and encourage us. I really want us to leave encouraged here today not discouraged. Suggestion number one, James 1 verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow down in reacting to other people, in sizing them up. This brings me to my sermon title, To Look Again. Someone pointed out to me recently that the word respect in its Latin roots literally means to look again. Our first look at someone, our first reaction, is usually informed mainly by our preconceptions, our previous experiences, maybe our prejudices, our associations, our related opinions. That's pretty inevitable. That's just how the human mind works. And that's why we need to look again and again. My first suggestion, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And look again before drawing any conclusions about anything. Suggestion two, work at greater self-awareness. The plank in your own eye. Try to be honest about yourself and your own vulnerabilities, your idolatries, your biases. Honest at least with yourself and with God even if not with anyone else. Be honest about the worst 10 seconds of your life. 
We're all broken. Not just those people. In one of her books, Mother Teresa talks about radical humility. How when we truly are honest with ourselves and about ourselves and our need, it changes how we look at others. I like that term, radical humility. Suggestion three, practice generosity. Try to be more intentional about giving people grace, the benefit of the doubt. I love the Heidelberg Catechism's commentary on the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Lord's Day 43 says, I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Now, when I'm in a situation where I think that I am right and the other person is wrong, I don't spend a lot of time trying to guard and advance that person's good name. I'm interested in winning and in having them lose. How do we practice generosity with people with whom we strongly disagree? I'm not sure. I think it does help to think of people who are examples of this. I think it's so interesting that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the most liberal judges on the court before she died, and Justice Anthony Scalia, one of the most conservative courts, justices ever on the court, were such great personal friends profound differences of perspective on almost everything, but fair with each other's views, careful to not personalize, distort, weaponize, misrepresent, quick to guard the other person's good name. I find that friendship remarkable and inspiring and hopeful for me as I think about this for myself. Suggestion number four, be curious about others. This goes right along with listening and looking again and deep aware, self-awareness and generosity. Be curious about other people. About 30 years ago, soon after I had moved back to Grand Rapids, Neil Planinga, who was the professor of uh, theology at Calvin Seminary at the time, called me and invited me to go fishing with him and some of his friends. Well, Neil knew that I was not a fisherman and I knew that Neil was not a fisherman, but we both knew that Ken Kuiper and a couple of his buddies were good fishermen, and they promised to take care of us. Well, I said yes, but I was immediately nervous about this. I didn't know Ken Kuiper personally, 
But I knew that Ken Kuiper was one of the most beloved and respected members of the English department of Calvin College in the long storied history of the Department of English. Ken Kuiper taught American literature. Well, people who teach literature intimidate me. <laughs> what if he asks me, what are my three favorite American novels? Ernest Goes to Camp? No, that's a movie. <laughs> I was nervous about this weekend. Ken Kuiper was one of the kindest, gentlest persons I have ever met. Above all, he was curious. He was so interested in everyone else. He never made me feel stupid or even ignorant, which are two distinct things. He always seemed to land on things that delight and humor, and encourage, and inspire. And he did it all by just asking a few questions. He was a remarkable human being to be around. Every one of you, if you think about it, can come up with someone in your life and in this church, I've seen them here today already, who inspires you to be quick to listen, to look again, to be more self-aware, to embrace radical humility, to be more generous, more curious. We can do better. I know we can. For in this great spiritual battle that we face today, the one who is in us is stronger than the one who is in the world. And the one who is in us is purer than the one who is in the world. And the one who is in us is brighter than the one who is in the world. Go this morning with this blessing from God. May God, out of the Father's glorious riches, strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you may bear fruit for the upbuilding of the church for the sake of the world, and for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace and healing for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.